1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13 today. We're going to finish chapter 3. Then the goal then will be next week. We'll, we'll do chapter 4 and we'll finish chapter 5 the week after that. Next week is communion as well. Um, so quite a bit to get to. So if you're there, we'll go ahead and pray. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you so much for this evening yet again. Um, as I say, just about every week, Lord, just a privilege it is um, for me to have the opportunity to open your word and to study your word and um, be used by you to hopefully um, make it understandable to those that are here tonight as well to hear from you. God, with the busy day that they've had and the busy week or a busy life that they're going through right now and to take time out of their, their schedule to be here to have the opportunity to worship to you tonight with Pasch and then to come to your altar and to pray and to leave whatever's troubling their heart tonight as well. And then, and then as we open your word to hear from you as well through your word that doesn't return void. So Father, just those that are here this evening, I just pray that you would just give them that peace that they're looking for and that you would just comfort them as we open up your scriptures. We pray for the children's ministry tonight as well, too. Be with Pastor Cameron and the different um, team assistants that he has and with the kids that are there that are continuing to learn more about Jesus and um, who he is in their hearts. And Lord, we pray for the youth tonight as well with Pastor Reggie and um, all the young adults that are over there right now just trying to learn more about you in this crazy world that we live in, Lord. It's crazier every day. And um, God, I would just pray that you would be with them and, and touch those um, touch the youth's hearts tonight, God, in just a way that they know that you are there, Lord, um, that you are real. Um, and Father, help them to understand you in a better way. But Lord, be with us in the sanctuary tonight. Um, and Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. So the intro so far, um, you guys kind of know the drill at this point. Um, it's been several weeks, so you guys know already that we're elected. You guys have got that drilled into your brains. You guys know that already that we have an inheritance, that inheritance is salvation. You guys understand that. Um, you know that we have been challenged to be holy. Peter has done that as well too so far. He's challenged us to be holy. We've discussed that several times as far as <clears throat> trying to live a life that's, we're not perfect, we're not gonna be sinless, but the desire in our heart is to live a life that is holy, that we're continuing to try to move forward within our relationship with him um, and allowing him to point out those things within our lives that we know that are wrong, that we need to continue to, to strive to be something better than we are today. Again, not to, to be in a workspace mode as far as that, not trying to, to make it look on the outside that we're a certain way, but to genuinely change your heart and allow God to be the one that continues to work in there and continue to, to help you to strive to, to work on those things and to be humble before the Lord and allow him to, to make you holy as he is holy. Again, not a, a perfect way and not a, a sinless way. I mean, obviously that would be the desire, but that's gonna be impossible until the day that we get to heaven. And then the last week we talked about <clears throat> submitting for God and actually the last two times that I taught, we talked about submitting for God. We talked about submitting to the authorities that God has placed above us. You know, um, We talked about the workers for their employers and then last week I spoke quickly just on the responsibility for the employers towards their workers. We also talked to last week about the households and wives submitting to their husbands and husbands to their calling and their relationship to their wives. Hopefully that spurred a lot of great conversation within your marriage 
over the last week and that, again, it wasn't a point of calling anybody out or making it difficult in a conversation, but um, if this is the woman that you've married or this is the husband that you've married, you, you want that to be the reflection of who Christ is within your marriage. And so sometimes those hard conversations are actually good conversations because they, they do make you stronger together. And then we saw, talked about submitting to everybody. We talked about thinking of others and to not be vengeful. And then that's where we're gonna pick up this week. And, and Peter in verse nine, backing up a couple spots, he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. And on the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then he finished off with a quote from Psalm 34 of David's, and it says in verse 12, for us, um, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so again, as, it, it, as, as Peter is as asking us to, to walk again a life that is worthy, and as you're submitting to others, it's not to hold those things against somebody, not to repay evil. So many times in our flesh when things happen to us, again, we immediately wanna strike out and, and, and injure them the way that they have injured us. Or maybe we wanna injure them worse than that they've injured us because then that way they'll never do it again. So kind of that, mind, that mindset that we have. And, and what Peter is actually saying is on the contrary, different from that. I'm giving you something different. I'm telling you to, to repay evil with blessing. And again, if this, this church in, in Turkey that we've been talking about has been oppressed and they've been having a hard time with those that have been in control, that would be something that you would want to do. You would want to strike out. You would want to repay that evil if you're being held down by those that are above you. And Peter's saying, look, I want you to have a different mindset on this. I want you to have a different thought process. And even as we as Christians in this day and we have a different um, a government that rules over us, a different society that we live within, still so many times just being a sinner, you want to strike back out out to somebody. And Peter's saying, no, please don't do that. So then as we move to this today into verse 13, and Peter poses a question, he says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And who, who is going to do that? Harm is, is to oppress, it's to afflict. And this word eager here, so who is going to afflict something upon you if you are eager? And this word eager here is, is enthusiastic. It's, it's deeply committed. It's almost, it's, it's a word that can be used for zealot. You know, we hear a lot of things about zealots. People are zealots. Well, if you are deeply committed to doing good for God, then obviously somebody is not gonna be happy with that. Somebody's going to, to push against you or somebody's not gonna be happy with the way that you're acting in that. And I think Peter's asking the question, again, to persecuted people to make sure that they're, not, that they're not focused on the physical things, but again, that they're focused on the spiritual things. Again, as he's continued to, to preach to them and, and continue to talk to them in this letter, and as we con continue to talk about over the last several weeks and almost a month at this time, if not more, it, it, again, it's, it's to have a, an understanding that, that we are heavenly-focused people that our inheritance isn't here on the earth. You're not going to retain, I mean, we might get something from the Lord here and that might be a blessing that would be wonderful, but ultimately, what are we looking forward to? Our inheritance is in heaven and that's what's been promised to us. It's the salvation that we're looking for and our Redeemer has already paid that for us and so we look forward to that day and again, to get your mind off the physical things of this world and turn it to that so you can have a spiritual understanding and be spiritually focused and not, not physically focused. Paul writes this in, in Romans 8.31, it says, if God is for us, well, then who can be against us? 
In your life, if God is for you, who could possibly be against you? So if I'm continuing to walk a life and I'm being submissive to those that are above me and I'm getting pushed back and being persecuted underneath this, if I'm focused on the physical things and I'm focused on what's going on around me, well, then I will get dejected and I will get off track and I will want to strike out at somebody. But if I'm not focused on that and I'm unfocused on God and if if God is with me, there's no power or ability that can overcome anything that God can do. So if I have the protection of God and if I'm underneath his wings and, and he's, he's protecting me, who could possibly do anything to me? And Paul says that there's nobody. Again, if God is for us, who can possibly be against us? Peter continues to move on and he moves into verse 14. He says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. And, and the word but here, and I've used this a couple times, and I laugh because today the, the third graders, they were learning conjunctions in, in the third grade class, and the conjunction today was but, and so there's guys in the room that are laughing right now because we said but, and so all the boys in the room, just every time she would say it, what she was telling us the story afterwards, would just giggle the entire class. So she's like, all right, we gotta move on to something else. So it was like 10 minutes of just laughing. But, but this is a conjunction... <laughs> So you guys are learning English to this this evening. So the conjunction here is that, that means that there will be a contrast into what the previous conversation is. So if we back up quickly to verse 13, it says, who is going to harm you if you, are, if you are eager, if you're a zealot to do good? Peter says, but, anytime you see that, it's, there's a change in what we're doing here. Even if you should suffer, even if you should suffer. It's interesting to me, to me that Peter doesn't give like a three-point breakdown now, a three-point sermon, and he has his three C's set up or his three F's set up for whatever he's going to do on that. And, but he says, it's, it's not that. I'm telling you, I'm not going to give you a three-point sermon on how to avoid suffering. I'm telling you to embrace the moment that, that when you endure suffering. He simply states that if you should suffer for what is right, and the word right here means the quality of being in accordance of God's law, well, then you are blessed. Christian, today, if, you are, if you're doing what God has called you to do and you're, you're trying to live the life that he's called you to do and you are in your word and you have an understanding of that and you're trying to walk in a manner that's worthy of Christ, within well, you are blessed. Don't get, don't get caught up in the name it and claim it people and, and if I name this, and I'm gonna, if I do good, then I'm gonna gain this, this nice car or I'm gonna have this nice house. No, you, you are already blessed. The Lord is on your side, and he's the protector for you, and he's the one that's going to provide for you. And he, his word says, I'll provide every need that you possibly have, every need that you possibly have. And again, if we get our minds on the physical and we take it off of what the spiritual is, then that's when the problems happen within your life. But many of you remember, we, he stated back in chapter 2, and verse 19 and 20, it says, For it is commendable if someone bears up <clears throat> under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and then endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, well, this is commendable to God. Again, so if you're out there and you're doing stupid stuff and you get arrested or you get in trouble or you lose all your money, well, you were doing some stuff that you, were, that you shouldn't have been doing and, and, and you were against what God was calling you to do and, well, that's, you got what you deserved. Again, it's commendable, though, if we receive sufferings 
underneath what, if you're doing what is, is correct before God, it's commendable before God. And Jesus stated in Matthew 5.10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter then states for them not to fear for the threats, not to fear their threats, do not be frightened. I think again, what, what is worse, what can happen to us Again, spiritually thinking, what's the worst that can possibly happen to you in your life? You lose your life and you go where? You get your promotion. So what the world would look at is that they're, they're taking something away from you. We as Christians look at it as it's a promotion. I, I get to go to heaven and I get to actually be in the presence of the Lord. And I don't have to struggle and I don't have to suffer and I don't have to sweat and I don't have to slave for all these other things. I'm not persecuted I get promoted and I get to go to heaven. So again, taking your mind off the physical, placing it back on the spiritual and having spiritual blinders to understand that as I walk through life to embrace the things that are going on. Verse 15, he moves on, he says, but, there's that word again, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So the word again here, but, so we're transitioning again. So instead of fearing their threats, Peter asks in our hearts to revere, it's to treat as holy Christ as Lord. It's it's a check again of your reaction to to place Christ first within your life. Again, Christian, do you understand, is there a fear of sin within your life? Is there a fear of understanding that the sin that I do, the sin that I choose to do, this, this fleshly action that I choose to do, that there's a consequence to that? And that I should revere Christ as so holy and have an understanding of what he has done for me that I should actually dis- despise that sin that I'm choosing to do? And there's a whole host of sins out there. There's just one or two that we can choose from. But, but as you go through the inventory of your life right now as you sit here, is that really worth more than what Christ is? Do you revere, do you, do you treat as holy Christ as Lord within your life? And I think that's something that we continue to grow within our life and as we continue to mature and we, we get a little older or we, we go through a little bit more problems or our faith increases because we've gone through different struggles in our life and we continue to see how the Lord continues to work, that that faith does increase and that you just, you fall even more in love with Jesus. When I first came to Christ, it was exciting, it was new, and I mean, it was just wonderful. And at the time, I was at Fort Lauderdale in the huge church, and there was a huge tingles ministry. I mean, to the point where the church told us you were only allowed to be at church five days a week. Like, they put the limit on it. You're like, you, you got to go home. Like, get, get out of here. You're only allowed to be at the ministry for so many times, and then you go home, go do something else. Go, go witness somewhere or do something. But you were just so excited and, and just on fire for the Lord but, but my understanding was only this. The same thing happens when you get married, going back to marriage last week, is you, you fall in love and then you get married and your understanding of that person is only this because you haven't gone through anything yet. You, 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 no struggles in your life for the most part, for most cases. You haven't done anything together. And then, then as you go through the, the struggles of life and the ups and downs happen, you continue to grow and your, your love for this person continues to grow. Why? Well, Man, I, I remember the time when we had this, and, and well, she was there. And then she remembers, oh, we went through the struggle, and I had a health problem and this problem, and, and, and well, he was there. 
And as you continue to work together and you mold, you just continue to grow. Well, the same thing happens within your relationship with the Lord is that as, as time goes on and you continue to do the things you're supposed to be doing, you continue to grow. Well, now my faith is like this. And then as I look at the things in my life that I, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about movies and, you know, I would just watch most movies that really wouldn't bother me. And then, and then now just nudity was never a thing. It was just, it was gone. I just knew I couldn't do that because I didn't want that vision in my life forever, you know? And then it was, and then it was just language, just almost any language. You're just like, oh gosh, what is that? Where that wouldn't have bothered me 20 years ago. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. It's no big, I won't even hear it then. And as you continue to grow and the Lord continues to refine you, and it's like, do I, do I really need that in my life? Do I need that shoot 'em up movie in my life? And this is not, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. We're all at different levels, and you're going to grow into whatever that the Lord wants you to do as long as you're listening to Him. But just for me, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. And there's just certain shows that Christine and I were like, I just can't watch that. Now, the old Kevin would have watched all of it, you know, would have binged it, you know, in, in a weekend. But but now it's, I can't do that. Why? Because I, I want to treat Christ as holy. I want to have that understanding in my life. And, and as I see that, I'm just like, I just can't do that because I feel dirty. And I don't want to be dirty in the, front, in the front of the presence of the Lord. I mean, I've got my own stuff that I'm working through that I don't need to add stuff in to be able to do that. So again, it's a check on our reaction to, to place Christ first within our life. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Again, as I mentioned, as you allow those things to come within your life, as you allow those things to enter there, well, then there's no place for the Lord to be there, and there's no place for the, the word of the Lord to be in there. Why? Because I continue just to, to shove it with just junk. There was a guy in Fort Lauderdale that I knew, and um, I thought he was a little lower in the spiritual totem pole than I was, and, and he just talked about certain songs he wouldn't listen to anymore. And his phrase was, man, just garbage in, garbage out. And, and it just stuck with me, and I don't even know where the guy is anymore at this point, but, but, but I remember his phrase, just garbage in, garbage out. And, and so now, again, to the point where really watching the, mu the music that I listen to as well. There's be a song that come on, I haven't heard it in 30 years, and you can almost sing it verbatim when it comes on the radio. You're just like, I haven't heard this song in forever. Just music, again, is one of those things that just has a natural ability to be able to work within your life and stay there. So Christian, again, as you come under attack, you, you don't strike back. Peter says to be prepared. He's, he says to do something, that you're gonna be prepared, you're gonna do something here to give an answer. The answer is, is to defend oneself. It's to make a formal justification it, it, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And we've been asked to submit the last couple of weeks that we've talked and to have them ask questions the reason behind where we're submitting to them is to have them ask us questions about the things of why we believe what we believe. So Christian, tonight, if somebody asks you tomorrow at work or when you go home tonight, what is the hope that you have? Are, are you ready to give that answer? It's a Wednesday night and, and many of you are strong believers and, and, but the question really is, is do, you, do you feel ready? Do you have that knowledge in your brain or have you, have you sat down and taken the time to, to look up some notes? Have you been willing to take a, a class on Wednesday night to learn how to evangelize? Have you, have you spent the time to do your own commentary breakdown and not just rely on somebody who's, who's teaching it to you, who's spent all that time in the commentaries breaking it down to present it to you? Have you taken your own faith that serious that I'm going to, like this verse says, 
I'm going to be prepared to give an answer. Why do you believe what you believe? Get in the Word and, and memorize Scripture. And if you can't memorize Scripture, then, then start writing it down so that you have some kind of knowledge of it, being able to have an, a track of what you're going to do, and then, then practice it. Anything else in life that you were going to do, you would practice to be able to get better at it, whether it's sales or whether it be something that you're doing within your house. I mean, you're going to learn how to do those things. Well, well the Bible's the same thing. You can practice and you could do exactly what is being done up here. Christian, are you ready to give that explanation? Well, the word hope here is, is joyful and it's confident it's, it's ex, and it's an expectation of eternal salvation. That's the hope that we have. It's not a hope in that, oh, I'm a good person or I have a good household. It's, it's no, the hope that I have is that there's a joyful and confident expectation of an eternal salvation. That's my hope. My hope isn't in this world. My hope isn't in things. My hope isn't in my family. My hope is in Jesus and the salvation that I'm waiting to receive so that I can spend eternity in heaven. Romans 5, 2, it starts off and it says, Paul speaking, it says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We've talked about that because we know that suffering produces perseverance. As you suffer through different things, you're able to persevere a little bit more the next time that something happens. And perseverance, character, well, as you persevere through something, you develop a little character. You have a little moxie about yourself. People look at you a little different. And character, hope. Well, there's that word hope again. And hope does not put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint us is another version because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, that's the hope that we have. And so as we walk through life and we go through struggles, and I've talked about already that our faith continues to grow, well, that has developed character in me. And, and now ultimately the hope that I have is not in the great things as, that we do as a nation, as Billy Graham would say. It, it's, it's our hope is in, is in God through Christ. That's who our hope is in. We should all take, make it a point to be able to, to be ready to give a defense of the gospel. As I said a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm one of those weird guys that thinks that it would be good for us as America to have a little persecution. I think it would toughen us up a little bit, get us in the, in the Bible gym, and we would start memorizing our scriptures, and we would start being ready to be able to give a defense if we had to give a defense. You'd be willing to take that extra step to be able to, to, to study the word and be ready to give an answer for the reason of why we act the way that we act. Why am I submitting to you? It's not because I like you. It's not because I love you. It's because I love Jesus and I'm going to answer to his commandment. That's the hope that I have. Verse 15 moves on again, and here's our word of the day. It says, but, again, a change here, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, for it is better if, God, if it is God's will to suffer for, for good than for doing evil. And again, but is there, that's our word for the night. And the gentleness here is, is that he's asking to have is, is it's a meekness, it's a humility. You know, it's part, also part of the fruit of the Spirit. And Pastor Carl, I think it was four or five months ago, maybe longer at this point, he, one of the things he, he said, it kind of convicted me, and it was, he talked about the, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. It, the older that you get, the better that you should be at the fruit of the Spirit. We've just had more practice. And, and it just convicted me because, you know, I come to school and there's, you know, eight, nine-year-olds and, and I'm asking them to have, you know, self-control. 
But then I'll get in my car and get frustrated when people cut you off and things like that. And it was just a check in my own spirit. Is it, Kevin, are you being humble enough to, to know that you still need to grow? That these people around me still need to have, when I have a conversation with them, I need, I need to, to have a gentleness. I need to have respect. I need to treat them with some dignity. 2 Timothy 2 says, and the Lord's servant must, Paul talking to Timothy, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gentle, instructed, and, and in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. I'm not one of those, again, that thinks that you have to, to just take it all in and never give an answer back or not be able to stand up for yourself. I think you should stand up for yourself, but I, I think in this country, we've kind of lost the ability to have a civil conversation with somebody. We always want to look at the other side and say that they're the ones that don't want to have a civil conversation, but as you say that, you're saying get frustrated and mad and everything else, so it's, it's kind of both sides. Again, allowing the, the civil conversation to come out of us and, and to treat somebody with dignity and to be able to have a conversation of love with somebody else and just lovingly explain, like, I, I don't hate you just because I disagree with you but let me explain why I believe what I believe. And then you just lovingly take them through the scriptures and you lovingly show them why you believe what you believe. And you just have a real conversation with somebody. Again, it's not a point of being able to, to, to be able to win the argument because I was just louder than that person, but, but do this with gentleness and respect when you give the defense of your faith. Do it in love. Again, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Christian, we should live a life that they should be ashamed of their slander against you. It's such a huge difference between believer's life and, and the way we respond. You know, it's, it's the same spoken back in 1 Peter 2, 12 and, and, and 15. He's, he's talking again about making sure that you live that life that is worthy of them then being ashamed that they are actually challenging you on the things that you believe. Verse 17, again, he says, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's the same as Peter spoke to the slaves regarding their masters in chapter two. It, it, it has been said it is infinitely better to suffer once with Christ than to suffer eternally without Christ. Christian, live a life worthy of some persecution. If that's the worst that happens today and you get to come to Bible study, you get to come to a prayer meeting and be like, oh man, it was, it was awesome today. Man, I had some guy just... Man, he just, he just gave me the what now because I was a believer and he, we just had this conversation. I was just loving on this guy and we got done. And I said, man, I'm still gonna pray for you and I don't want your prayer. It's okay, brother, I love you anyways, man. I'm gonna pray for you. That would be a much better result. Continue to love people and continue to live a life worthy of some persecution. Verse 18, he says, he moves on, he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And this is pretty easy. Christ is our example, as we've already discussed a couple times too, uh, willing to suffer for us. You know, Christ, again, he was the righteous in this. And we obviously are the unrighteous. Being the, in, the, in the book of Luke the last year or so at this point, but as Pastor Carl is wrapping it up in, in Luke, and we've come to the end of Christ's life, and at this point he has died, and the resurrection's happened on Sundays, but... Um, we got to see this just recently in the last month or so is of, of what Jesus went through at the very end. You know, the example that he gave to us of how to live is, you know, again, the lies that were said about him. 
the ridicule that he received that he could have stopped in a moment. He could have just said, you know what, that's it. You know, we're, we're done. I'm not gonna do this a different way. You know, Father, I'm sorry, I just can't do this. But he, t- he took the shame, he took the lies, he took the beatings that he took for us. Not just the cross that he, where he died, but he, the, the lashes that he took and the point where you couldn't even recognize who he was as a man. That's, that's the, been the beatings that he took for us. Peter was there and he knows the suffering that Christ took for us. And so when he looks at it and he says, I, I know that I'm, a, when, I t- when Peter's writing this, I mean, he's, again, just reflecting on a life that he lived with Christ and he, he's reflecting on his mistakes that he made and he's reflecting on the things that, that, that God did for him and, and, and or Peter, or Jesus did for him in wonderful ways. It's, you know, again, he understands completely when the, he understands that the fact that the righteous died for the unrighteous. Peter understands I was that unrighteous. And yet still Christ went up on that cross and he died for me. Again, this is not like a movie where, you know, you see some of them where the the God will come into a person and they'll walk around and they'll do different things and he inhabits someone for a while and then he he lives and then he dies. No, Christ, he he was God as as a man. That, That was Jesus as the God and the man. And then Jesus dies on the cross and then he takes all of our sin. That's what submission is. That's a humble life. As we get to ready to move on, um, evidently this next area of scripture is, is one of the hardest to interpret. Um, so this has been fun. I have struggled the last three weeks with this area, the last three weeks for the record. Um, you can just ask my wife or Pastor Carl. I've emailed them several times and we've had several conversations and um, but at the point, I, I really needed to know what I believed to be able to come up here and do what I've been asked to do as far as preaching it to you as well. And there's some really smart men, some of you in this room probably as well too, that, that have all different theologies and a thought process as far as these next three or four verses that we're going to read tonight. And actually, Pastor Carl sent me what he had taught on this when he had taught in this area. And, and, and I told him this already. When I read it, I was like, he's wrong. Like, I don't, I don't even, <laughs> he's great. He's crazy. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I, honest, I, don't, I can't say I really even finished it because I was like, this is even outside of what I've read so far. I don't even know if he's, you know, but whatever. So, so again, I, I've prayed through this. I've been working through it. And then finally, Monday night, about nine o'clock, it, like, it clicked. And, and I had to redo my notes last night um, because it finally made sense to me at that point. So it would be interesting. We'll see what you guys think as well, too. But verse 19, it starts off, it says, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And so I was thinking that this has to do with context. It is where I got to at the point where I read all these different understandings of what everybody thought. So the first one is, there are some who will say that during this time of Jesus' death and resurrection, that, that he went and spoke to the souls in Hades, and he gave them an opportunity to receive him as their savior, the, the hope that they had been waiting for. Uh, and, and, and to be honest, a long time ago, that's exactly what I thought that this was. I didn't even think this was, that's what I've been taught. It made sense to me. I kind of moved on. Um, but scripture is clear in the fact that we don't get second chances, Correct. We, Hebrews 9.27 says, just as a man is destined to die once, 
and after that to face judgment. So and I don't believe in a purgatory. You know, I think to be absent with the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So I think that there are things within us that, again, so as I started looking at this, I'm like, well, that doesn't really make sense as well, too. And there are some who will say that during the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, that he went and spoke to the demons and the evil spirits in the time of Noah and kind of show them that he had conquered that, that he was bigger than that, that he actually did what he, he had come to do, and he was kind of like showing off to them that he was there. I felt like this, again, was a, is, is a jump as well, too. Like we kind of pivoted from what Peter has been talking about the whole time, and it seems like he's been pretty consistent in his conversation and that Peter would have had to assume that these churches in Turkey, outskirts of where even Jerusalem are and even where Rome is at this point where he's writing this letter, he'd have to assume that these churches in Turkey would, would know the Jewish custom so well to remember the story of Genesis 6. And again, back then, they didn't just pull out their phone, open up Genesis 6. They didn't have a big you know, Bible like this to be able to do They would have had scrolls if they were lucky. They probably didn't have that. What they had is they had the stories and, and all that had been constantly talked to them as they had continued to grow up if they were Jewish. There could have been Gentile churches that he's writing to as well. And so the story of, of, of Genesis 6 and assume that only those evil spirits were the ones that he talked to were imprisoned at the time of Noah. So all the other evil spirits weren't. It was just the ones that during that time there. So again, these are smart men, okay, and that they very well could be right. They probably know more about the Bible now than, than I ever will. That being said, but, the word of the day, um, to me, these are still jumps in the letter that Peter is writing to these churches. So what do we know so far? So we know so far that Peter has, has encouraged this church to submit and live a life that is holy. We see that. It's been clear. I've said this like 100 times to you guys. You will, you will and receive persecution. It's been promised. He's telling them that as well, too. He already knows that they're receiving persecution during this time. He's encouraged them to preach the word when given opportunities while under persecution. So we see in Genesis 6 that the world was wicked to the point God was going to wipe them out with a flood. You guys know this story. We could probably go into Sunday school right now. They could recite it to you. But one and his family were not. Genesis 6, 9 it says that, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. The New Living Translation, it sounds a little bit clearer too. I like this. It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless, blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked close in close fellowship with God. So Noah becomes our example of how to live as believers. Again, so as he's talking to this church and he's giving them examples and he's telling them to continue to, to walk in such a manner that is worthy of a calling and he tells them that you're gonna come under persecution, these are, this is exactly what he's talking about when he has Noah here. But what about Christ? Because we have Christ within the story as well too. Well, Christ in the spirit spoke through Noah to the lost souls at the time before the flood. You say, what? We're kind of shifting gears here, Kevin. It says, but, but we know from 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11, it says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, who spoke of the grace that was yet to come, that was to come to you, searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them, in them was pointing when he pr predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Second Peter 2.5, maybe I'll do that unless there's some 
crazy scripture verses in there too that I don't want to have to study, but it says, it says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Again, so these are important things to understand too. So as we understand that, uh, that, that the spirit of Christ was, was talked about already in chapter one, we understand in, in 2 Peter that, that Noah is a preacher of righteousness. And as we move into this again, going back to the scripture, it says, spoke to the imprisoned spirits. So this imprisoned spirits could be said a different way too. I have a John MacArthur Bible right here if you guys want to look at it later and he didn't sign it or anything, but I have a John MacArthur Bible and the New American Standard Version, the translation, by the way, John MacArthur thinks differently than I do. Um, again, much smarter than I am. But, but he, it says in there, it says, he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. So it doesn't mean that they were in prison right now or back then, it just means that he spoke to them when they were doing it at that point. And so let me give you an example here. It says, so an example might be is, I knew Pastor Reggie when he played football. So was Reggie a pastor then? Well, no, Pastor Reggie's a pastor now, but I knew him back then when he was a football player. So you understand the difference? So again, so as, as Christ is speaking through them, it's speaking through them at that time not saying that he spoke to them and went back in time, went back into a different time, era from his crucifixion, back into that time to be able to speak through them. So again, as I repeat it again, it says, Jesus in the spirit spoke to the imprisoned spirits, people at the time of Noah, through Noah, a preacher of righteousness. So at the time, so Jesus, just like the Holy Spirit would speak through us now, Jesus was working at the time. He, in the spirit form, he works through Noah to be able to preach righteousness to those people at the time, to be able to tell them, look, you're doing things that are wrong as he's hammering away, making the boat to be able to get ready to have that salvation for him and his family. So as we continue on in verse 21, it says, so as the water symbolizes baptism, that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and the powers and in submission to him. The word symbolizes obviously means symbol. And the flood of Noah cleansed the earth of a terrible sin that was happening. Okay, we already talked about that too, that, that is, he's building this boat. We already know, understand there was only eight people that were gonna be on there. We understand that eight people were righteous to be able to get on there. But we understand too that we know that water baptism that saves us, it's not the, at all. Water baptism does not save you. Again, baptism, as we're getting ready to do one on, on, on Easter, so if anybody hasn't signed up, please make sure you do that. Um, it, baptism is an outward expression you going into the water, you coming out of the water, getting dunked on Easter, of an inward commitment. It's an inward commitment. It's, a, it's almost a pledge of clear conscience toward God. So as you go that, you're being just obedient to what he's asked you to do. He's asked you to be baptized. You go do it, and what it does is it's almost a representation of Christ too. It's, as you go into the water, just as he went into death, you come out of the water just as he rose from the, the grave as well too, and it's a baptism to be able to show others on the outside of a clear conscience that you have towards your relationship to the Lord. But it is the resurrection of Jesus is the one that saves you from your sin. Pastor Carl talked this weekend with Christ, about Christ and, and we, because we have no empty tomb, again, you guys understand, if there's no empty tomb, we have no faith. There's no Christianity. We have to have an empty tomb. We have to have Jesus conquering death to be able to win that, to be able to, for us to be able to have, be sinless. 
Romans 6, 4 says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. And Jesus takes his deserving place at the right hand of God. So as he goes through all this, where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of God. Why? Because that's the power of where he should be at. Why? He's the son of God. He's the one who is our savior. He's the one who has done this for us. So again, keeping our letter in context, let me just kind of rewind this because I'm sure I've got a lot of blank spares at this time. So again, keeping this letter in context, I have a commentary, actually it's a systematic theology is where I found it. Just so you understand too, I was looking in, in the systematic theology to understand what Hades and hell so I could have a better understanding for one of the other previous examples. And that's when I saw the breakdown as far as what, what Grudem was saying. So Grudem breaks it down like this. He has, Noah was a righteous minority. As Peter is writing to this church in Turkey, they are a righteous minority as well too. Noah was surrounded by hostile unbelievers. Okay, so this church in, Her in Turkey is surrounded by hostile unbelievers. Noah witnessed boldly by the power of Christ. Okay, again, not Christ being resurrected at, two, at year 30, Christ working in him at that time when he was there. They, he's encouraging, should be witnesses by the power of Christ as well too. And Noah was finally saved as he built the boat and he was not wiped out by the flood. We too will be saved, or they will be saved by the inheritance of Jesus Christ dying for them. Does that make sense for you guys? Did I do a decent, decent job? So that's the summarize there. So again, so as we follow the, the, the flow of what Peter has been talking about, he's been talking to the, the believers as far as walking, being elected, having a, a, being walking in a holy manner. All this is culmination comes to the point of where you walk in a manner that's worthy of Christ. And so you're, you're submitting to those people around you so that they, they ask questions and then you might be a witness and you might be prepared and ready to give a defense of the gospel. And that gospel that we have is the only hope that we have. And then just the, another example that he gives, he gives the example of Noah to us to be able to explain that as that even as Noah did this, that we too should be able to withstand within our life and go under the persecutions and the people that are around us. Why? Because everything that we do again is for the glory of God. Does that make sense? One last thing I wanna close with is we've opened with Psalm 34. I just want to close with that tonight is, again, is the title of the focus was to be remain, of the message was remain focused on the Lord. I want you guys to be remained focused on the Lord. So Psalm 34, it starts in verse eight. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And whoever you love, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Christian here tonight, make sure that you stay focused on the Lord. Don't allow the things of the physical to be able to create a division between you and the spiritual and the understanding of where you need to be going within your life, amen? Father God, thank you so much for this evening. Again, I thank you for, Lord, your faithfulness, the way that you just continue to work in each one of us, that you're 
so good. Lord, your word says that you promise never to leave us or forsake us. And um, Lord, there's just times that that's literally all that we have. God, again, I just thank you for these people that are here this evening. I pray that you would get them home safely this evening. Pray that you would continue to minister those and allow us as a church to be able to reach into them and to continue to do the work that you've called us to do as well. Lord, just on a side note, I do want to pray for the schools. Lord, even again, as we have had another shooting a couple days ago, and just, um, Lord, we do pray for our school here, that you would place a hedge of protection around us. And, and God, just continue to allow us to do the good work that you've called us to do. But more importantly, that we pray for the safety of our students, um, your children, Lord, and that you would protect them. And we ask this in your name. Amen.